Hey friends, this is Musing Methodist, where we discuss important issues and topics for Christians to ponder. Uh, my name is John Duff, and I'm the assistant pastor here at Centenary UMC in Danville, Kentucky. And today I'm, we're excited to talk about the vaccine for malaria and denominational differences. And I'm here with... I'm Chris Morgan, and I am the lead pastor here at Centenary. And um, I mowed my grass last night, and weed ate this morning. And it's a beautiful, beautiful spring day. You did that this morning? That's I cool. did that this morning, yeah. And we also have with us, as not as always, but I always say as always, Kathy. Kathy. Yeah. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for being here. Did you weed eat this morning? I did not. I actually have some that does that for me. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Me too. But I'm at a, a townhome, so um, I don't do that. Actually, Chris uses one of my mowers. And my brother, my older brother, just got a new mower um, for his anniversary. He really likes mowing the grass. He's one of those guys. And so his wife got him a new uh, mower. And so he was like, hey, you want my other mower? I was like, sure, I'll take it. For someone who doesn't mow his yard, you have an awful lot of mowers. <laughs> I was like, well, my thought was like, at some point, I'm probably going to have a house with a yard. I don't know when that'll be. It's not right now. But Chris uses my small mower because he has a big ride mower for his big yard, right? Yes. Anyways, this is not super interesting, so let's move on. <laughs> um, we normally start with how are we doing, but besides mowing the grass, Chris, how have you been doing this past week or so? The past week has been fun. It's been been nice in several ways. Uh, yeah. I got to see John's twin brother, who yeah. was uh, an intern of mine either 10 or 11 years ago. Um, yeah. And got to see him on Thursday and Friday of last week. And then my intern the following year uh, has graduated from seminary and been ordained. And yeah. I drove up to northern Kentucky where I baptized his youngest son on Sunday. That's cool. And so That's it's fun. been like reunite with former interns week. And yeah. it's been fun Absolutely. and very satisfying. That's pretty cool. Um, Kathy? I'm doing well. Yeah. It's been a decent week. Anything crazy going on? No. Nothing crazy? Nope. Something's happening outside. <laughs> Kathy's gotten up to look around outside. Something's going on in our yard. No. Yeah. Cool. No. Sounds good. Okay. Well, I'm doing pretty well. The big thing in my world, well, there's a couple. I, I like to make big things. Well, I don't make big things, but you get what I'm saying. Um, this morning, I was biking into work today, and it was my first time. I've... Decided that I would like to bike to work some because I only live like two miles away and Danville small uh, is a small town uh, compared to where I grew up, which was Lexington. And so I'm like, I can bike. So I got a bike. But today I was just over halfway to work and my um, I was biking and then my chain stopped working. And so I walked the rest of the way, a little under a mile I walked, but uh, to work. And so my bike experiment failed, but I needed to take the bike to the bike store and see if they can fix it um, so that I can continue to do that because I want to try to do that some because one, to stay active, it's good, right? And then two, you save on gas, even though it's not a lot of money and or a lot of gas, but still good. So anyways, I walked the rest of the way, which is sad, but that's my biking experiment. I'll work on it. I'll give you an update, see if we get the bike fixed and 
I can continue. I'm not the most coordinated person in the world. I decided to bike to, uh, to well, around town when I lived in Williamstown, and I bought this bike. I was so excited. Yeah. And, and on my initial bike ride, um, oh, yeah, I, I was on the street, and I'd gone four blocks, and I ran into a parked car. And I thought, if I can't even avoid a parked car, this is probably not my way of transportation. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, see, Sunday I actually biked to Kroger and back from my place. So that was fine. But then this morning biking to work, it messed up. So I don't have a super expensive bike. And so that's part of the problem. But also I wasn't super thinking about getting a super expensive bike because I was just going to use it to bike around Danville. I'm not like a, a pro biker. Anyways. So that was a big thing in my world this morning. As you were weed eating, I was walking. You're trying walking. to figure out my chain and then walking <laughs> to to work. I look but, up out my window and I see John coming across the parking lot, old Bondo's bike, and I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shouldn't he be right now? So, anyways, uh, we were going to talk about a story about monkeys on the loose in Cincinnati. You might have read that a few weeks ago at the beginning of April. But then I found out that the the policemen have not found any of the monkeys, and so maybe it was like a false tip or something. But I'm not completely sure, because um, they haven't super followed up on it, other than that the policemen haven't found any monkeys loose in Cincinnati. That's the way things work these days, though. You know, you get a rumor, you get somebody that says something, and you get eight more people to say the same thing. And whether or not there were ever loose monkeys, suddenly it becomes a big deal and a story. Because yeah. somebody somewhere, yeah. <laughs> Another option is that someone took the monkeys in, and they'll have monkey pets, and they got monkeys for free, and hopefully they know how to care for monkeys. So it's either that, or the monkeys weren't loose in the first place, or they found the wild and somehow got there, right? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But we'll find out at some point. But or we might not. It's one of those mysteries <laughs> for the ages. So it's not really a mystery for the ages. But I did want we did want to talk about one cool news story that popped up was that um, scientists have uh, there's a new malaria vaccine that has proved to be 77 percent effective in trials and could be a major breakthrough against the disease, which is pretty cool. Um, the article says that malaria kills 400,000 people a year. And uh, in 2019, there were like 229 million cases of malaria. And so this um, vaccine would be a very, very big deal. Um, so and a lot of the people who die from this are, are children in sub-Saharan Africa. And so it would uh, it would just be a big big deal in the world of health, and it's a big deal um, to help uh, stop this disease, which takes a lot of lives. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, for those who are mathematically uh, astute, um, four hundred and nine thousand people died from malaria in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, the two hundred twenty nine million is new infections. So not all of those who died in 2019 were oh, were yeah. 2019 infections. They were dealing with complications that had happened. But 400,000 people a year, I mean, that is that is a huge death toll. 
Um, yeah. And I don't know if you remember in the United Methodist Church, uh, a couple of quadrennia ago, we, we had uh, buy-in into the Imagine No Malaria campaign. Mm -hmm. And so oh, cool. we did nothing but nets uh, along with the NBA. And, and, and really, um, even uh, some secular authorities were, were absolutely impressed by the way that the United Methodist Church had changed the, the face of the world and the population in certain yeah. certain places, and so now this is just something that's even more effective. You know, uh, this is a little bit changed the topic, but it's similar. Uh, about a month ago, I listened to a interview with the guy who is in charge of the um, the the children's project that's like support a child. What's that called? Overseas, there are several of them, but compassion. compassion yeah, I think it was the president of compassion, or he was. And there was a point in time, I think it was the 90s, when he took over where he really wanted to help solve the AIDS issue and the AIDS crisis. Um, and children, and in in America, especially in the evangelical church, that was kind of like a no go because AIDS was linked to homosexuality and, and sexual practices that were like. We don't want to touch that, but he was very passionate because he traveled to, you know, these places where these uh, people were suffering from the AIDS pandemic. Um, and he was like, this needs to be one of our issues that we support. And everybody else in the organization was like, no. And he was like, yes, we're going to do this. And eventually they got support uh, to, and, and got people to buy in. But it took a long time because it was such a, a controversial issue. Um and he was just like, these people have sickness and we need to help them. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. Um, no matter what you think of the stigma of uh, the sexual practices that, that led to it. Um, and so, and evangelicals in the end became um, some of the most compassionate people. Uh, and and when, you, when you ask who made the difference in the lives of those who were, who were dying, uh, it, there had been a tide that was turned there. Um, yeah. Where, you know, in, instead of blaming people for their suffering or instead of looking down upon people for their suffering, um, there was simply the seeing of the suffering and the intent to to meet that yeah. with whatever compassion one could give. Yeah, absolutely, which is so important. And so the United Methodists helped with the malaria problem and then science and the vaccine helps too. So Methodist are teaming up with a scientist and um, hopefully there'll be well there will be a lot less malaria in the world uh, well a lot less deaths because of malaria and 77 percent efficacy in the initial trial is pretty amazing it's pretty awesome have you ever had to take like the malaria medicine i have yeah. uh, <laughs> did you take the one that gives you strange dreams <laughs> well i always have strange dreams oh, yeah. true. True. <laughs> i couldn't tell any difference uh, it made me feel a little a little strange but uh yeah you know some of the caribbean nations when the mosquitoes are out it's yeah. like you know, i take this and uh, yeah, I've done it a couple times, and I remember, I I think I did it twice, and I got different medicines each time, and the one time I had strange dreams, but I don't remember the other, so, but yeah, so there you go, that's a pretty cool story, we were excited about that, um, and speaking of different 
nations. We're talking about different denominations today. <laughs> so, um, Good and one. really about church history um, and, and what has led to different denominations, because this is a question that I know it, it's interesting. It's a question that actually I felt like I've gotten a lot from people who are not Christians. Like they'll say, like, why have you so, so many denominations? And that's just confusing. Um, and it is a little confusing. We'll give you that. Um, and and I, my guess is that uh, people in the church also sometimes have questions about denominations. And so we thought it would be a good thing to talk about. And uh, we're going to try to not get like too in the weeds. Uh, but we're going to talk about kind of the history and the projection. Um, and then we'll talk about kind of different differences in the denominations today and especially the ones that we see kind of here in america um and john will prevent me from becoming granular in yeah. the examination of all of these yeah so so i'll start a little bit and then i'll you chime in and i'll get you kind of handed off to you um we start after jesus the church with pentecost the coming of the holy spirit right and then for nearly 10 hundred or a thousand years there's no issues at all in the church and we're all happy that's not really true there's lots of different councils and uh fights and whatnot or arguments i should say maybe um but but and what happens is that there's kind of an eastern church and a western church and they're but they're kind of united and it's in 1054 where the eastern church which is in constantinople is kind of the head splits off from in the Western Church, they split from Rome, um, and that is what ends up creating the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. So, can you talk a little bit about that split? Both of both of those are still in existence now in various yeah. forms. Uh, we have the the Western Church um, continues as the Roman Catholic Church, and so um, almost all churches that you see that have Catholic in their names are Roman Catholic, um, mm -hmm. although there are some splinter groups from the Catholic churches, but those are those are not exactly who we're going for uh, in, as we're discussing this. Mm -hmm. um, but the Eastern churches, you've got uh, you know, the, the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, various other Orthodox communities like Russian Orthodox Church yeah. um, that, that follow an Eastern rite. So that's, the, that's a big split. Um, and they, they kind of split over... A little bit of a theological difference, but it was also somewhat they just wanted to have two different churches. In a sense, like you can examine the reasons, but mm -hmm. one of the reasons had to do with with a clause in the creed, uh, the filioque. Yes, the the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. So always up to that point, uh, the creed had said, you know, "We believe in the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father," and um, the Pope at the time changed that wording to proceeds from the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church leaders said, well, nobody asked us about whether we should have made that change or not. Yeah. And um, the Eastern Orthodox Church is highly traditionally minded. Yeah. And uh, that was considered to be a, a major, major change. Yeah. Uh, and so the leaders of those churches excommunicated one another. Yep. An act that was not undone until, what, 20 or 30 years ago? Yeah. When yeah. they unexcommunicated one another. Which is pretty they, cool. Not them, because they were dead for a thousand years. And so we actually, in our traditional service, said the Nicene Creed 
last Sunday, and we said, proceeds from the Father and the Son, is the words that we used. And, Which uh, is primarily because we're descended from the Western tradition. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, but it is not in the Apostles' Creed. It's in the Nicene Creed, which is the longer one that we see. The Apostles' Creed is shortened and easier to recite. And so, anyways, so that's that's that split. And so, for another five hundred years, you got the Roman Catholics and uh, the Eastern Orthodox, and um, and then we think of Luther. But there are some people before Luther that do some type of reforming and breaking off, but they aren't. Um, they don't create. It doesn't you know, do the historical change that Luther kind of started um, in a sense, right? And so uh, is it 1517, October 31st, that Luther nails the thesis on the door? It's a good thing many churches have glass doors now because you can't really nail things to them. Yeah, I guess he would have had to have taped his top thesis to to the door. you think they had tape back then? Did they have tape back then? Um, they had no. They had some kind of gum or resin. Yeah. If you really wanted not to damage the door, he could have stuck his thesis to the door in another less dramatic way. But Luther okay. was all about drama. Wax, yes. Luther was <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> Luther was uh, was was very Especially dramatic. Especially if you're Catholic, you're just like this dude was just you know he just wanted his own thing. He was drama queen, but for us Protestants, we like him. So, anyways, go for it. So uh, Luther objects to many things. Um, he has come to read the New Testament in such a way, particularly the Book of Romans, mm-hmm. that that he believes that salvation, uh, according to Scripture, is salvation through faith and through faith alone. Mm-hmm. And felt that the Roman Catholic Church's teachings uh, on faith were insufficient yeah. and that such practices as the sale of indulgences to enrich the, the church um, were problematic in and of themselves. Yeah. Um, and you can find out more about indulgences by Googling it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know more about indulgences, Google it. There's not good stuff that happens in yeah. the Roman Catholic Church. Good. And in Luther's day. Yeah. The Catholic Church in our day is not the same as the Catholic Church in, in, in Luther's day. But, you know, in, it's still and indulgence. True. But, anyways. An indulgence in Luther's day uh, would be something like, uh, Father, I'm going to sin this weekend. Um, here, let me give you a nice contribution for the church's treasury. And why don't you issue me a pardon prior to my sin? So that's uh, something that Luther objected so, strenuously to. Yeah, Luther didn't like indulgences. He wasn't a big fan of all the sacraments that the Catholics had. He said the Pope wasn't the only authority. So he likes the Bible um, as the sole authority. And then... Uh, He's very, uh, yeah, anyway, so that's what we know about Luther. Um, uh, and, and Luther's kind of the start of the Reformation, but there actually are, in a sense, five different uh, Reformations. What are you looking up there? Okay, so okay. so Martin Luther was a very colorful character. 
Um, I'm going to say those words. <laughs> well, if you want to go, just just Google um, insult me like Martin Luther. And the first insult that came up, I can't read. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, okay. yes, <laughs> Luther said concerning ministry, as for the signs of your peculiar priesthood, we are willing to let you boast of these mean things, for we know it would be quite easy to shave, anoint, and clothe in a long robe, even a pig or a block of wood. Yeah, he was very, your, your words are so foolishly and ignorantly composed that I cannot believe you understand them, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. He, he has this way with words, and he insults the Pope and uh, some of the Pope's uh, sympathizers in, in words that I generally don't use in sermons. Yeah, exactly. So Luther breaks away, and he starts the German Reformation, which ends up in Lutheranism, and, and people after him... Uh, continue his legacy and start this denomination, which is Lutheranism. And one of the big things that were differences in the Roman Catholic Church was also the understanding of communion, uh, whereas the Roman Catholics understood communion to actually be changed in essence to the body and blood of Christ. Uh, Luther holds this view that's called transubstantiation, which is that it does change, but it's also still blood, or it's also still wine and bread, which is also confusing, which maybe we should do a whole podcast on um, that well, tra transubstantiation being the Catholic understanding. Oh yes. So what's consubstantiation? Consubstantiation being the Lutheran. So yeah, yeah, I was wrong. Transubstantiation yeah. is that that even though uh, the the Roman Catholic Church to this day believes that the moment yeah. the priest prays over, uh, they officially uh, believe it. They, yes, it's an official belief. The moment the priest. Um, consecrates the elements of wine and bread that they actually become uh, the body and the blood of Christ. And that's why it's very important. You know, you don't just throw what's left over in, in the garbage can. Yeah. Uh, you don't want the body of Christ to go to the dump. There are very specific ways of, of washing the cup. Um, when, when you wash the cup, there's plumbing in Catholic churches that go just directly outside onto the earth yeah. so that uh, you, you don't uh, misuse the blood of Christ. So, so some of the differences in the different denominations are largely around uh, communion and the Eucharist, which is important. So, Okay, so that's Martin Luther. I'm going to try to move us along a little bit. The next Reformation is the Swiss, Swiss Reformation. And so that um, if you think of historical figures, you think of Zwingli and Calvin. The biggest difference between Zwingli and Calvin was uh, one of the biggest differences. Zwingli, they were very similar in a lot of things. Zwingli thought... Um, the communion was just a remembrance and Luther was like, no, you're wrong. And so they started, um, Calvin. in Calvinism started, uh, this reform theology. Calvin actually set up kind of a Christian state, uh, at Geneva and, uh, um, started ruling as, as Christians and thought this is the way to change society. Um, which was also not a super, it, it, you know, I, I don't know if it was a great thing or not. I, I'm not Calvinist, though. So, But it also is similar to what some people really think today is the way Christians ought to try to challenge, change society. But um, anyways, so uh, there was some 
it, there's iffy things about all these, and I don't want to point out all the bad things. But, you know, so that's the Swiss Reformation. Then the Anabaptists, um, do you want to say a little bit about the Anabaptists? Yeah, the, the Anabaptists rejected the tradition that those who had been, or that the Christians who had children should baptize their children. The, As infants. Yes, the Anabaptists did not believe in infant baptism, and those who had been baptized as infants, the Anabaptists said, well, these people need to be baptized again, even if they were baptized as, uh, as infants. And they were considered to be pretty radical because they went further. Um, they wanted to take the Reformation even further than it had been before. And so... Um, and one of the one of the very difficult and bad things about the uh, Reformation was it caused a lot of battles and wars, and lots of Christians in this age, in this time, were killed by other Christians, and they were killing each other over what you believe about baptism. Which praise Jesus, we don't do that anymore. But like, there have been more Christians killed by Christians than by than by anyone else in history, and. That's, you know, on us in our history that we need to <laughs> repent and change from. So uh, let's not kill each other over <laughs> these issues. But anyways, and then we have the English Reformation. And the English Reformation um, was actually interesting. It was less of a theological change. And Henry VIII really wanted to be still Catholic theologically, but he wanted to have power because the Pope wasn't going to dissolve his marriage as in allow him to divorce uh, officially. And so Henry was like, well, all these people are breaking away. I'm just going to break away and be the head of the church. And so um, uh, Anglicanism uh, started that way. And then they go through different rulers that are, some of them are more Protestant, some of them are more Catholic in the English um, history. And then um, they're not really a lot different from the Catholic church, but they are, eventually they get to be kind of different and they are their own uh, denominations and that's the third largest christian church the to the intriguing yeah. thing about the english reformation is that henry the eighth prior to becoming uh you know the head of his own church yeah um had been named by the catholic church as a defender of the faith mm -hmm. he was incredibly theologically literate he yeah. wrote well he He's understood very catholic theologically mm -hmm. too yeah. Until he wasn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. And suddenly he wasn't when uh, the divorce was not permitted. Um, yeah. And he went off and started his own church. Yeah, but still that church was theologically very Catholic. Unlike where Luther and Calvin were like, let's do different. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, I like a lot of this stuff. <laughs> so anyway, so those are the main things that push the different things that happened in the Reformation, um, the main five kind of Reformations. And then there's the Catholic um, Counter-Reformation in which they kind of rethought a lot of their the Catholic stuff. Um, but then we have kind of after the Reformation, we have a push for uh, kind of the pietistic push and the Puritanism uh, that starts. And then out of kind of the pietistic movement, is where us Wesleyans or Methodists come. Um, so pietism, thinking of like a, a personal spirituality that's important rather than uh, just theology and uh, uh, corporate living. 
Well, it is corporate too. But so John Wesley comes out of that. But John Wesley also comes out of the Anglican Church. Uh, so Wesley has this deep appreciation of church history and theology, and he's actually highly influenced by the Eastern Orthodox as well. Uh, many people kind of draw those scholars draw those uh, connections. Um, but he, he and so he starts this movement that isn't necessarily a part of the Reformation, but it is a reforming of the church and a reforming of uh, Christian life, and that vastly changes England, at least, and in America. Uh, those are the two countries that are largely affected by Methodism. So, so Wesley had the influence of the Anglican Church. He had uh, the influence of the Eastern Church. He really loved to read the Church Fathers, and uh, those, those who use the Apostles' Creed in churches they've been in before— um, We'll, we'll notice that in the Apostles' Creed, well, we do not say um, he crucified, dead, and buried, he descended to the dead, or he yeah. descended into hell. That particular phrase is not a part of the Apostles' Creed for Methodists. And the reason it was not a part of the Apostles' Creed for Methodists is because he was so influenced by Eastern Orthodoxy. Yeah. And he was so influenced by the first four or five centuries of the church that he wanted to go back to the original form mm -hmm. yeah. of the creed, uh, which which omitted that phrase. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, so that's a little bit of church history. And then after the Reformation, there's lots of breaks and lots of different breaks. And we as Wesleyans, theologically follow from Wesley, have kind of a family of denominations that we're a part of. Uh, so the United Methodist, pretty much anything that has Methodist in its name would probably be in our family, like the Free Methodists. I like the Free Methodists. They're great. They're a smaller denomination in America. Uh, we have the Wesleyan Church. We have the Nazarene Church, which is a similar. Um, I can't. I, there's the um, AME Church that we, we've talked about previously, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And so th there's this family that follow in our theological tradition where we're not exactly the same in everything. Um, but we're, we're close enough to be kind of part of that family. Uh, but I, if we say just a few words on the differences in denominations, let's not get like too deep because we only have like 10 minutes. We got a lunch after this, so we got to wrap it up, right? <laughs> yes. But, but, but that was, I like talking about church history. So the, the big things that churches separate on, one of the biggest things is church government, I think is a practical thing of the way people do things differently is they think, oh, we should run the church like this or, oh, we should run the church like this. And uh, so there are hierarchical churches yeah. and there are congregational churches. Some churches are like, we are our own authority maker and we decide what we're going to do and what we're going to believe. And that's just that. Churches meaning individual, individual congregations. congregations. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so Baptist churches, for example, would be congregationally run. Yeah. Uh, Methodist churches are hierarchically run. We have uh, a bishop, we have superintendents, and we have legislative um, groups that meet every year and then another that meets every four years uh, to, to discuss doctrine. So yeah. on, the, on the congregation on the one hand, uh, the hierarchy on the other hand, we are hierarchical. Yep, yep. So that, that's a big thing that separates denominations. Another one is uh, women's pastors and as well, along with that, thinking about like gender roles in general. And so uh, the ones that 
do not have women pastors, for example, or the Catholics don't, or the Easterns don't have women priests. Um, uh, Presbyterians, or certain, I guess, these days it's certain ones. Well, yes, but there are Southern Baptists, the big one is Southern Baptists don't have women pastors, right? Mm. Um, but, like, the United Methodists have women pastors, um, and that's complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Now, and, and some people, you know, if you talk to someone in the denomination that does not have um, women in roles of leadership, they would say, well, you all have women in roles in leadership because you don't take the Bible seriously. Yeah. And to that, I want to say, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. um, the Wesleyan churches in particular who have women in leadership, have women in leadership, not because we've um, followed the trajectory of the world. Yeah. Uh, we have women in leadership because we believe that theologically um, the scriptures not only permit it, um, but the scriptures encourage and, and show that. So yeah, uh, don't let anyone tell you that, that the reason that Methodists allow women participation in the life of the church is because we don't believe in the Bible. No, no it's, yeah. it's that we, we look through the Bible and we see. And, and people who say that, there are, there are some people that might be on that, like think that and they're not concerned about the Bible. But the people that say that are ignorant of what's in the... I, sorry, I shouldn't use that strong of a word. The, like, they're looking past Scripture, in certain Scriptures. They're picking certain ones and not looking at the full arc of Scripture and whatnot. Anyways, so yeah, that's a big thing. I will say one of my most... One of the things that annoys me the most, I'll... Uh, I'll say this and we can move on. But it's very common in America of especially like the people who have a Baptist leaning. They don't. And, and we're talking about denominations and this is why I bring it up is they'll say, well, I don't really like talking about denominations. I don't want to be a part of a denomination because, you know, I just want to read the Bible and do what the Bible tells me. And my response to that is, is the reason there are different denominations is because different people interpret the Bible differently. And so the reason there are denominations is because you can read the Bible and think about different things. And then the people who say, well, I just want to read the Bible and believe the Bible. I'm like, yes, but but you're, you're missing that it's denominations didn't come up because, oh, I want to believe something different. It's because, oh, the Bible says this and it's hard to there, there's different issues that have different um, evidence is in the Bible for one side or evidence for the other side and how do we read this and you get what I'm saying is I just want to I just want to do what the Bible says I just yeah. want to read the Bible and do what the Bible says well if you open it up to the right place you're going to want to stone anyone who picks up sticks yeah. on the Sabbath yeah you know if you if you open it up to the right place yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's it's going to be more problematic and so we've got to have an overarching understanding or yeah. It says women shouldn't speak in church, but then in other books, Paul references women in leadership. Yeah. Well, and that, that's, for example, is a is that there's a part where Paul says, don't let women speak at all in a gathering. And uh, many of those gatherings were more like what we would think of as a small group. And nobody follows that. Nobody does that today in the world. And so that becomes an issue of uh, choice and the leader's choice and, and their preference on the way we look at that, and so that that's an example of the women issue. But and let's look at Priscilla no. and Aquila yeah. in in the New Testament. You know, obviously, 
she is teaching um, yeah. Apollos, right? Yeah, she yeah. she is sharing with this excellent orator um, yeah. what the meaning of the gospel is, and so you yeah. talk about a teacher in in Bible, the Bible itself. Yeah, uh, yeah. you have, and there's a, there's a lot more evidence too. But our podcast today is not about that. Yeah. But so we're going to move on. But we might maybe do a podcast in the future because we both like talking about that. Uh, another big difference in denominations is baptism. So whether we uh, do infant baptism or child baptism versus adult baptism. So United Methodists do infant baptism. Like Roman Catholics will do infant baptism. Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Lutherans. Those are all denominations that will baptize infants. Yeah. Um, and then there are some, especially like Baptists, who maybe follow in the tradition of the Anabaptists that say you have to be an adult, you have to choose it for yourself. And there's very different reasons of why different people believe different things about this. Um, uh, but uh, we won't get into all that. But that is one of the differences and ideas of baptism, um, which ironically, we agree with Calvin on that a little bit. So Maybe not ironically. That's just one of the things. And then another big thing is like predestination versus free will. Whether whether you believe that God predestined people to salvation, which also means he predestined people to non-salvation, um, wherever, whether that be hell or annihilation, or whatever your theory is, or whether we as um, humans are offered grace and we then have a response to make that we actually have a choice and a free will in that um, is a difference as well. And so you want to say about denominations in that or anything else? No, I think we've pretty much covered okay. the, the big overarching, simple, non-granular yeah. uh, look at this yeah, today. For sure. And another thing I just, uh, about denominations, like different people have different preferences and, different movements of the spirit of God pop up and so they're going to become a new denomination and whatnot. And uh, I just think it's kind of, I don't know. Fortunately, we're not killing each other anymore yes, over, that's over these things. You, know, you can, you can have a Presbyterian friend or uh, an Episcopalian friend. And uh, now in, in Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, it hasn't been that long since Catholics and Protestants were, were blowing each other up on the streets. Yeah. Which we will say is one of the positives in American history because and what how America has hopefully influenced the world in a certain positive way is because America is based on the foundation of freedom of religion. So they're tired of one, the church and the state saying what you could do, and then two, people killing each other. And so it's like, you can come here and believe whatever you want and we're not gonna kill you. So thank you, America for that founders of america for doing that so that's our issue on church history our topic about church history and denominations thanks for hanging in there and and uh getting us through that you got any thoughts kathy or questions or we leave something out uh, but there's also a lot there's a lot to that um and if you ever want to talk more uh, chris or i would be happy to indulge or we could give you books to read too um but anyways, that's our that's our church history and denominations conversation. Uh, pretty fun. Uh, things coming up this week in the church. Tomorrow night we have our parables of Jesus continue. And we're doing the parable of the sower, which is a good one. Very common, uh, well-known one. Uh, 
camp in the city, Pine Cove is Pine Cove Camp is coming up, so tell people to come. Spread the word. Presently, kids who are presently in kindergarten to kids who are presently in fifth grade. Those are the ones who are eligible and contact Jill and she will give you uh, all the information you need. And we will be here next week. How long are we going to do this podcast? Oh, we're not going to be here next week? Uh, Oh, yeah, we're not going to be here next week, are we? We'll have a new episode. Uh, We'll probably have a couple more episodes in May and then wrap it up for the spring. Yes. Something like that. So uh, we like this. This is fun, though. Um, Anything else we need to talk about or say? No. Come to worship on Sunday. Quentin's preaching on Sunday, Mm -hmm. which will be very fun and cool because he's moving to North Carolina. Quentin is relocating, but before he relocates, uh, we want to give him a chance to speak to the congregation, and that will be... He's relocating, and he's also moving into my neighborhood, and is one of my neighbors as well. So he's got two homes, one in North Carolina, one in Boyle, Danville, Kentucky. Okay, we good? We're good. Okay, this is... The music will hopefully be softer. In the past, it's been too loud. So Chris is going to send us out with a blessing. All right, everyone. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace, that kind of peace that passes all understanding through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.